Well, if you've been to Crew the last couple of weeks, you have gotten to hear about God's heart for all the people of the world, all nations, and our specific partnership in East Asia, where we have the opportunity to reach the unreached with the gospel. And tonight, I want to share with you why we can trust God and follow him to be part of his call to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Who is Jesus that we can follow him? I actually had the opportunity to stint in East Asia for two years, and it was an incredible opportunity. It wasn't always easy, but it was definitely worth it. And when I came back, I came back to Ball State and was working on raising my support. And I worked on raising up my ministry partner team for eight months. And after the eight months I'd finished, I was back on campus. Um, the first week back, on my fifth day back, I actually was playing soccer um, in my soccer league when I suddenly planted my right leg. And when I did that, um, my, it felt like the entire contents of my knee went flying to the side um, until momentum forced it to snap back into place. And I heard a pop, and I experienced a shooting pain. And um, later I found out that I had torn my ACL in my knee. So what followed after that was months and months of excruciating pain, lots of physical therapy, surgery, more pain, and more physical therapy. And as a result of all of this, I was actually really angry at God. I began doubting the goodness of this God who is in control of everything. I doubted that God knew what was best for me. I wasn't convinced that I really needed to walk through the pain of this trial. I doubted that God even cared about me. I actually couldn't even pray at first because I was so mad. And it was a really, a really dark time in my life. But slowly, as God used his word and my friendship with other Christians to bring me back to a place of trusting him again, I actually began to wonder if he would really accept me back. I also wondered if I would or should still be able to continue in ministry. Because I, I saw that my sin was bigger than I had thought. And I wondered, what did God think of me now? How would God respond to my failure and my sinfulness? Well, maybe you're like me. Maybe you've walked through a time when you've seriously doubted God and wondered, but why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Or are you sure I need to walk through this? I can think of a thousand better ways than this, God. Yet when you've had your eyes open to the ugly and broken parts of your life, and you wanted to hide and never wanted anyone to know about your sin and doubt, but as a result, you felt like God would never really accept you, and he especially wouldn't choose to use you for anything big. It might not have been that you were angry with God like I was, but maybe you're struggling with a secret sin. Maybe you've crossed physical boundaries with your boyfriend or girlfriend again. Maybe you agonize and worry over your grades. Or maybe you have such significant doubts about God that you wouldn't dare voice in a room like this. Whatever it may be for you, the reality is that we are guilty sinners who doubt God, and we think we know better, and as a result, in our shame, we feel as if God will never accept us, let alone use us for his mission and glory. And when we don't feel like God will accept us anymore, that we've gone too far, questioned too much, doubted too much, sinned too much, or haven't spent enough time with him, we may begin to wonder, in our shame, Will he still accept us? Could he still allow us to impact the world with him? Well, today I actually want to look at a passage that addresses these very questions. 
We'll look at a man who felt like we sometimes feel. So if you have your Bibles with me, let's turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11. Luke 5 is part of the beginning of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, which is covered in four subsequent chapters. And in light of the whole Gospel of Luke, this section helps in answering the question of who Jesus is. He had become known all over Galilee as having healed those sick with various diseases, for having casted out demons, for having taught in the synagogues. And we join him now at the very beginning stages of his ministry. So again, people are still trying to figure out who is this guy. So let's look together at verses 1 to 3 in Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. On this particular occasion, we, two, we see two specific scenes happening. First, we see a large crowd gathering around Jesus to teach him the word of God. And second, we see a group of fishermen on shore cleaning their nets from the night before. Now, cleaning their nets meant that they were, like, they were done with their work day. They were done with their shift, ready to go home. And it's also important to know, at this point, we're being introduced to the other main character of the story, Simon, the man whose boat Jesus gets into. Now, Simon graciously takes Jesus out onto the lake so he can teach. And it's important to note that at this point, Simon had already met Jesus earlier when Jesus actually performed a miracle on his mother-in-law and healed her. So at this point, Simon has some rapport and respect for Jesus already. So let's continue reading in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, so Jesus asks Simon to let out his nets for, nets for a catch. No big deal, right? Well, let's look at how Simon Peter responds in verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now let's just take a step back. Jesus asked Simon to let the nets down in the water to catch fish. This seems like a relatively easy request, but it's met with annoyance from Simon. That's kind of weird, right? Well, Jesus was a carpenter and a teacher telling fishermen how to fish. He was talking to professional fishermen, and Jesus didn't have any formal training on fishing. So Simon was really irritated and told Jesus that he had toiled all night and caught no fish. Jesus was, Jesus was telling them how to do their job at a time of day when fish weren't even usually caught. Especially out in deep water, fishing in the daytime was really unfruitful. So this is a very odd and offensive situation. And just think with me how you would feel if someone with no training in your job field came and told you how to do your job, especially after you had a really frustrating work shift and you just wanted to go home. Or you can think of it this way. If you're a math major in an upper-level calc class, and you had trouble figuring out the answer to one of your questions, and your philosophy roommate comes up to you and says, did you try adding all the numbers together? It'd be annoying, right? So Simon responds the way he does in irritation. Yet Simon told Jesus that at his word, he would let down the nets. So we can see that Simon had respect for Jesus. He's addressing him as master, which is addressing honor and respect to him. So let's continue reading in verses 6 and 7. 
And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So all of a sudden, before they could even tell what was happening, two 20-foot-long boats were so full of fish that they were sinking in the sea. There were more fish than the eye could see. The nets were so full that they were fraying and breaking. So taking a step back from this whole scenario, Luke, the author of this passage, is just, again, stressing the absurdity of Jesus' command to lower the nets. A carpenter and a teacher without any fishing experience was telling professional fishermen how to do their job at the exact wrong time of day after they just tried catching fish all night and they hadn't caught one. So don't miss this. This was a miracle that actually happened. So let's continue reading to see what happened next in verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What was Simon Peter realizing? He was realizing his own sinfulness in the presence of a divine being, one who performs miracles. He was remembering when he had just doubted Jesus, and he felt inferior to him, and he felt immense shame. He saw the infinite gap between himself and the divine, and in his guilt and his shame, he was humbled, and he did not even count himself worthy to be in the presence of the divine Jesus. So Simon Peter was starting to see who Jesus was. He couldn't be a mere man. And as Peter was on his knees amongst all the fish at the feet of deity, he had to be thinking, I don't belong here. There's no way he could accept me. I've sinned too much. And he was left there on his knees wondering, how is Jesus going to respond? So let's continue on in our passage in verse 9. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Again, these professional fishermen, they knew that this carpenter had just made the impossible happen. And they were on board with the absurdity, and they were astonished. So what happens next is actually even more absurd than the miracle of the fish. Jesus responds in the rest of verse 10, saying, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Isn't this crazy? Why didn't he rub it into Peter's face? He had the right to destroy him or cast him out of his presence. Friends, this is an amazing response. It's not condemning, but it's actually inviting. While Simon thought that he was no longer worthy to be in Jesus' presence, because of his previous doubt, Jesus responds with the exact opposite thing, his presence. In grace, Jesus instead is comforting Simon. He's telling him to not be afraid because from now on he would be catching men. This is an amazing twist in the story that Simon would not have been expecting. And Jesus powerfully and yet gently uses the heart language of Simon, taking this imagery of catching fish and comparing it to his new occupation catching men. This shows how Jesus accepted a humble sinner and not only did not shun him, but he invited Simon to partner with him in his mission to reach others. Friends, Jesus is so incredibly gracious. To conclude our passage, let's look in verse 11. 
And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed Jesus. Their lives were changed forever. They chose to leave everything they knew, everyone they knew, and make Jesus the center of their lives because of who Jesus was. That was their natural reaction when seeing who God was, a full commitment to follow Jesus with their lives. And they recognized the privilege set before them to partner with this divine Jesus. Okay, so what does this have to do with us today? Well, we can see two specific attributes of God's character revealed in this passage. The first is that through their miraculous catch of fish, we see that God is all-powerful. Although we do not usually see God's power demonstrated in a miraculous catch of fish anytime we go fishing, this story is still a huge testament to his power. He is in control of everything, even the very fish of the sea. And today, God is still equally as powerful and in control of everything, just as he was then. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. Nothing is outside of God's power and ability. The second thing we can see about God's character is that God is gracious. Again, remember Jesus' response to Peter. As Simon falls at his feet, expecting that he would leave him because of his doubt and unworthiness, Jesus responds in complete grace, calming his fear and not only staying with him, but calling him to serve alongside him in mission. Our God is so gracious. And this grace is available to us as well. God offers salvation to those, sorry, to those who place their faith in Jesus by grace through faith, not by any works you can do or don't do, but by the free gift of his grace. This is such good news for us. In the same vein, just as we th see things about God that are still true in this passage, we also still see things that are true about ourselves from this. Even though Jesus isn't physically on earth anymore, we can relate to how Simon Peter saw the infinite gap between himself and the divine. Simon's two reactions to Jesus reveal to us how we are tempted to respond to God's commands and character. First, he doubts God. When Jesus tells him to lower the nets, he tries to talk him out of it. He thinks it isn't necessary and it doesn't make sense. Second, he feels shame. Once he sees Jesus' supernatural power over the fish for doubting Jesus' character and for not trusting him, he asks Jesus to depart from him because he is so unworthy. Isn't this just like us? We're prone to doubting God's commands, doubting that they are worthy of following, or we think that we know better. Maybe for you this looks like disobeying God's commands to save sex for marriage, because maybe you don't think God's plan is better and that he's holding out on you. Maybe it's drinking to the point of drunkenness instead of being influenced by God because you don't believe that God's way of fun is really going to be better than your own. Maybe it's being scared to tell your friends about Jesus or to invite them to crew or to church because you're not sure how they'll react if, or if God is bigger than what they might think of you. Maybe it's not wanting to leave the comfort of home or to sacrifice time with friends and family to go on a spring break trip or a summer mission trip or to give financially to someone who is going. Because you're not really convinced it's all that important, because you'd rather ignore that people need to hear about Jesus, and that apart from him, they are destined to hell. It could be any number of things, but like Simon, we're all prone 
to look at the commands of God and think, I'm not sure about that. Are you sure that's necessary? Are you sure that's best? Maybe my way is better. And in other moments, however, we experience the same shame that Simon did. We realize that we have sinned, disobeyed God's commands, and that we are fearful that maybe God can't accept us anymore. That maybe we can't really go to God and experience his grace. Maybe for you, this looks like walking past a guy on campus that you've crossed physical lines with at a party, and you wonder if you're just a little too dirty for God in this whole Christian thing. Or maybe it's the walk of shame in the morning after a party when you drank too much and woke up in an unfamiliar place, not sure what happened the night before, and you're wondering if you might be too broken to come to God. Or maybe it's realizing that you told your friends that you didn't really believe in God, that this crew thing or this Bible study thing isn't really that big of a deal. And you wonder if God could really accept you when you weren't willing to admit that you follow him to others. Maybe you felt God calling you to trust him with your time and go on a spring break trip or a summer mission trip last year or to give to someone who was going. But out of fear, you didn't go. And you made sure to save every penny of what you earned for yourself. And now you wonder if God would still want to use you to go on mission to tell others about him. So there are many ways that we can relate to Simon's fear of getting what we deserve because of our sin. Friends, we are guilty sinners who doubt God And in our shame, we feel as if God will never accept us, let alone use us for his glory. Yet the good news is that Jesus does not reject guilty sinners, but graciously accepts them into communion with him and into the privilege of working alongside him to impact souls for eternity. Just like Simon Peter was forgiven, Jesus forgives sinners today. Whether this is your first time asking for forgiveness or your millionth time, Jesus offers forgiveness to those that come humbly before him. And just like Simon was invited to be a fisher of men, Jesus invites us today to join with him on mission. Because of this amazing acceptance, we can see in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because we are accepted, we can boldly approach God What great news. I want to suggest that this great news actually calls us to action. And here are two ways to look at it. One, because God is all-powerful yet fully gracious, we can follow him even when it's difficult. God's power means that he is able to do anything and is in control of everything. This means that we can obey with full confidence that his plans are greater than our plans. And he's able to accomplish whatever he sets out to do. Maybe he'll call you to go on a summer mission or a spring break trip or to stint and you're scared to go to the unknown. But you can trust him to provide for your needs no matter where you go. Maybe he asks you to give up a relationship because that person isn't following God. And you're doubting if this is a good idea because then maybe you'll be alone if you wait for someone who believes what you believe. But in this, you can trust that he is able to provide better for you if that's his plan and not worry that you need to be with someone that isn't right for you. Whatever it is that he calls you to, you can come to him in your doubt. Remember his power and trust that he can give you the strength and confidence to obey him in those moments. The second thing is, because God is all-powerful and yet fully gracious, we can come to him when we fail to follow his commands and feel ashamed. Inevitably, we, f- we fail. 
and then we fall into the temptation and doubt God. When this happens, though, we can believe that he still desires to be in relationship with us and use us just like he did with Simon. So if you chicken out and you don't talk to your friend about Jesus, or you didn't go on a summer mission, you don't have to sit in your shame. You can come to him and follow him because he is gracious. And he wants to empower you to do what he is calling you to do. When you choose to pursue your own plans over his, you don't have to sit in your shame. You can come to him because he is willing to forgive and wants to help you walk in his ways. Walking through my doubt of God through my knee injury was extremely difficult. But these two points were actually so helpful as I continued to walk through it all. For example, recognizing that I could trust him, even when it was difficult, was huge. I didn't want to be in his word or even actually in the fellowship of other Christians, but I forced myself to do those things. One day, actually, when I was doing that, I was listening to a testimony of a woman, Nancy Guthrie, who had lost a child when he was just six months old to a rare disease. She explained that so many Christians attempted to comfort her and that, that God would never allow that to happen again or that he would use this tragic loss for good, like in coming alongside of others who'd experienced a similar loss. But she wasn't really that comforted by their words and these promises because she, she didn't really see them in the Bible. And then she got pregnant again and had another baby that tragically had the same rare disease, and he also passed away as an infant. As she continued her testimony, she began to explain that she clung to the truth of Romans 8, 28 to 30. You may be familiar with verse 28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Nancy explained that this verse didn't mean that the bad things that happened in our lives were actually good and that we should view them that way. Nor did it mean that God was promising to give her good things, like that she was promised more children that didn't have this rare disease. But the rest of the passage actually explains what it means. Verses 29 and 30 explain that God is promising to use all things in the life of the Christian for good, to make the Christian more like Christ. We were made in the image of God. Then sin entered the world and our image be became tainted. But now God is promising that he is re-imaging us to make us like him again, to make us more like Christ. That was something that I could cling to even in my pain and doubt. Because of my well-intentioned friends, when they tried to encourage me by saying things like, maybe God is allowing this to happen because this other good circumstance would result, it just wasn't that comforting. I was actually supposed to lead the East Asia summer mission that summer, right after I had lived there. I was excited to go back, but I had to stay here to get surgery. And some friends suggested that maybe God had really big plans for my summer instead of that. Like, maybe I'd meet my future husband. I didn't, for the record. Um, I, I wasn't buying that. That didn't comfort me. The pain and the faith struggle I felt didn't make it worth the trade-off for whatever good circumstance would then come from it. Now let me switch gears for a moment and share with you a brief story from a few years ago when I visited Ellis Island. I was standing where over 12 million immigrants had entered the U.S. from 1892 to 1954. When I was there, I actually got to hear some of the personal stories of individuals who came to America through this port. Sometimes it actually took years for the whole family to raise enough money just to send one family member to America. And the majority of them were saying goodbye 
to their grandparents, parents, spouses, children, friends forever. And on top of those heartbreaking separations, they had to travel on rough seas where they were treated as steerage, as third-class citizens, where there, were, there was little food and horrible conditions. So if they actually made the trip, once they arrived, the difficulties actually still continued. The language communication was so difficult, and they had to go through rigorous inspections where they had no idea what was really going on, or if they'd even be permitted to come into America, or if they'd be immediately sent back. And once they got there, if they were traveling with a family member, men and women were separated instantly. And people were unable to know if they'd ever see each other again. If they did make it through, how would they get anywhere? How would they communicate with people? How would they make a living in this foreign land? The difficulties still remained. But why did they make the journey? Why did they leave behind everything they knew and everyone they knew to walk through many difficulties to come to this new place? They did it because they had hope that they would be accepted in a new country full of wonderful possibilities. The only problem in the risk they faced was they didn't know if they would be accepted. But for us, we have a certainty of being accepted. If we have put our trust in Jesus, we are accepted because Jesus went to the cross, forsaken by his friends and then by God the Father, and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we could be accepted. Because the all-powerful, perfect God graciously accepts us, we can leave everything behind and follow him. So back to my knee injury. The pain didn't feel worth a good circumstance that could potentially happen, but God was not promising a good trade-off and not even promising that I won't walk through other hard things in the future. What he is promising is that he is all-powerful to be able to use all things to make me like Jesus. Yet he's fully gracious to still be able to accept me, even in the shame of my sin. I could trust him to use this injury and doubt to make me more like him. And I didn't have to worry if he would still accept me, because he would forgive my sin and take away my shame. And I could continue to follow him into the mission he called me to, to be fishers of men. I can trust him and follow him into this mission because of who he is. He is gracious and faithful and committed to his people. And I have the full assurance and acceptance of Christ, unlike those in Ellis Island, who went through difficult things without a promise of how it would end for them. I might not know in the moments what these doubts or circumstances will bring, but I do know how it ends. God will make me like himself and his glory will be made known. Friends, because Jesus graciously accepts us, we can leave behind everything and follow him. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are all-powerful, that you can literally use everything that happens in our lives to make us more like Christ. Thank you for your incredible, gracious offer that we can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus and that you accept us, not based on what we do, but based on who you are. And thank you for inviting us to be a part of your mission alongside you. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.